see anything on the screen, but I'm assuming we're live and on the air. And if I'm not, if the producers can let me know. Uh, welcome to the Pastor Mike Drop live. And I emphasize live podcast because that was a really funny way to start. Mm. Uh, but welcome, uh, Emily. We have some wonderful guests. Yes, we do. With us today, we have Pastor Ben Mason. Hi, Ben. Hey, everybody. And our intern pastor, Anna Eckley. Hello, hello. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks yeah, well, for having us. Welcome back to both of you. Uh, and this, we've got a lot of really good ground to cover. Uh, and I don't want to delay, so let's dive right in. Ted Lasso, take it away. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah. No, should have saw that coming. Okay, should have seen this coming. We're going to jump to our Old Testament. Point us to the new. What new information does God bring to King David through the prophet Nathan in First Chronicles 17? And how does it point us to our New Testament readings, Ben? Well, uh, this is a great story. And what you have to remember with Scripture is it is a story. And so you take everything in context, recognizing that there's this arc that goes mm. over the whole thing. Mm. And so what you see is David being really blessed by God. And the ark has come into Jerusalem. He does his crazy dance, uh, all the fun things, and he just feels really blown away by the blessings that God has given him. And it came about when David dwelt in his house. David goes, I live in this house. It's amazing. And God's ark is dwelling in a tent. I'm like, this doesn't seem right to me. He said, I shouldn't be living better than, than God's house. And so what what he sets out to do was build a temple. And um, he talks to the prophet. Uh, Nathan is a prophet at this time. And so you see David finding good counsel. He says, what do you think? Is this a good idea? Nathan says, yeah, I think this is a good idea. And then uh, Nathan sleeps on it, which is also a good idea. You know, So you see a lot of wisdom in this story. Yeah, yeah. And, and what you see uh, Nathan coming and saying, no, it's not that – God doesn't want you to build him a house, but God has built you a house. Mm-hmm. Um, say to my servant, David, this is what the Lord says. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, uh, that you should be a shepherd over all my people. And don't think that I have come, uh, uh, that I put you in this place so that you could build me a house, but I put you here so uh, that I could build you a house. And there's this play on words here where uh, house means physical house. Jesus, uh, David is thinking about building a temple for the Lord, but uh, house also means household. House also means uh, a family. And, and so uh, God is saying to David that I'm going to bless your household by bringing through you the lineage of the Savior. And so this is what God is talking about with David. Um, I will settle... I will, I'm going to put your descendant on the throne. I'm going to put him in my house, my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, according to the vision. That, Chapter and verse on that for our listeners? That is First uh, Chronicles 17, verse 14. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I will be his, 13 says, I will be his father and he will be my son. I will not take my loving kindness away from him as I took it from the him from him who was before you. And there's this idea that um, David is blessed to be a blessing. And it's not just for David's sake, but it's for the sake of everybody. And ultimately, what you see here in First Chronicles 17 is uh, the way that the scriptures point to Jesus. And you see this in Acts right here uh, in um, 
Acts 13, there's a sermon that uh, Paul is giving in his first uh, missionary journey. Um, And what he does is he tells the story of the Old Testament. He tells a story Mm -hmm. of how... uh, uh, God worked through his people, and then he talks about David's household. In uh, Acts 13, 22, he says um, that God raised up David to be their king according to uh, the way that he had promised. He said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Uh, from the offspring of this man, according to the promise, God has brought Israel's Savior, Jesus so here you see our Old Testament reading and our New Testament reading overlapping perfectly. Yeah, one thing leads to another. This is one of the first times in the Old Testament that there's prophecies that point this specifically to Jesus. I mean, it, it's it's clear. When you first start reading it, you know David's son is Solomon. You know Solomon's going to be the one who's reigning as king when the temple is built. So as you said, Ben... David says, I, I've got a house. I want to build God a house. God says, I don't need you to build me a house. It's not you. It's going to be your son. So at first, if, if the reader, if the Bible reader knows history, the history of Israel, Old Testament history, you would think, oh, that's going to be Solomon. He's talking about his son Solomon's right. going to build this house, this temple for God, which is really important because God has resided in the Ark of the Covenant until now. And that's been in a tent, basically, that's been going from place to place to place. So it's been on the move. It's mm-hmm. been mobile. Mm-hmm. And now... David is starting to think, I think God needs a permanent house. God needs a temple. But what's really fascinating isn't just that God says, no, it's not you, because David's like the hero king. You would think it would be David. It will be your son. But then God makes this shift. It's this beautiful, powerful move. And for one of the first times ever in the Old Testament, he's saying, I'm not talking about Solomon. I'm not talking about a temple that's made with bricks and mortar. Uh, It sounds like Jesus in the New Testament again, like you're saying. I'm, where Jesus says, this temple, great, destroy it and I'll rebuild it in three days. I'm talking about a temple that's more significant, that's a part of a kingdom and a king that has no end. Mm-hmm. That's that's really cool, is that the prophecy is pointing to a king who will reign forever and ever, chapter 17, verse mm-hmm. 14 of, of First Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Well, and in that place, you see how um, if, the, if it all it is is Solomon – then there's a real problem with God saying this: His kingdom is going to last forever, right? Because Solomon's kingdom didn't last forever. No, but Jesus does. But Jesus and, does. And we're in it. We're yeah. in it right now. And, and I love the way that God he he takes a hero hero uh, and lifts up this person yep. to where him or her plays this amazing role. But it's never about that person. It, you know, Moses isn't the one that brings him into the promised land. King David isn't the one, uh, but. Uh, you you have uh, Solomon, and then you have the other heroes too. Yeah, that's yeah, great. It is mm-hmm. good. The the consistency of the story that is really important here. That we have we have this Old Testament reading, which reminds us: oh, Jesus isn't just a New Testament story. It starts way way back in in yep. the history of mm-hmm. Scripture, mm-hmm. and that gives gives us depth, and it gives us something to believe in that is much more consistent. I think that's mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Okay, what do you want our podcast listeners to notice about Saul as the story begins in Acts 8 and 9? Anna. Yeah. Well, speaking about consistency, one thing I think that we see throughout Old Testament, New Testament is God taking imperfect people and making really good things out of them. And he did that through David. And then he also does this with Saul. We are introduced to Saul as someone who is causing chaos and causing Mm -hmm. so much turmoil within the church. He is sent out by religious leaders to go and persecute people and to push them out. 
And God approaches Saul and he says, why are you persecuting me? And this person who is imperfect, it continues to be imperfect, but his story is changed forever. And God takes those things that were really hard and turns them into things that are really good. Because after this, after in verse 18, it says scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see he was baptized, and then you just keep going, and all of a sudden he's preaching about Jesus mm-hmm. and changing lives. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool connection to go from David to Saul. I think that's something really cool that this reading, this week's readings have done for us to see this change. That's really that's just right on, and that that God can use imperfect people to do things is just a relief to me. Uh, I think I think to all of us, uh, yeah. that's really good news that He can use people like David, He can use people like Solomon, He can use people like mm-hmm. Saul, who becomes mm-hmm. Paul. Uh, there's there's a backstory here that I think is worth noting, and you touched on it, Anna. Is that he's imperfect? It. He's imperfect on steroids, too. Yeah. I mean, he is mm-hmm. like public enemy number one <laughs> for the followers of the way of Jesus Christ at this yeah. point. He approved the killing of Stephen. It's like this, it's like watching a really good episode of some drama or some movie or reading some book, a novel that, that just drops a hint. So, at, at verse one of chapter eight, there's Stephen being martyred, being stoned to death for his faith. And then it says, and Saul was there mm. approving. Of of his execution, uh, because and yeah, okay. So why why would Saul want that to happen? Because he's a Pharisee and he's worried about idolatry, and he sees Christianity at this point as a false religion, mm-hmm. as idolatry, and he wants to keep the purity of his faith as a Pharisee and as somebody who has authority in that. And I I think that's fascinating. Is that we don't just I mean we're all complicated, right? We it, and so Saul is imperfect and complicated. But he also has the power as a Pharisee that says in chapter 9, verse 1, then he's eager to kill Christians. That's Mm -hmm. why he's going to Damascus. Mm -hmm. Every breath that comes out of his mouth. I mean, he's practically obsessed with wiping out Christianity on the face of the earth. What a turnaround, which I think is important to note. Never give up on God's ability to change a life. Mm -hmm. Never Mm -hmm. give up on your friend, your your family member. Never give up on yourself. Uh, Never give up on anyone. I think that's really important. No, absolutely. And and I think it's really good and important to think, like he was trying to do his best. Now I'm not justifying like murdering Christians. Okay, I just want to make sure everybody on the internet knows. I'm, but he's. You're, you want to go on record, Ben? Is being I'm going to go on anti anti murder of Christians, right? Okay, really or in anybody. general, yeah. Yeah. in general, like let's, that's a bold statement. I know, but I'm like, with you. Yeah, when he he was trying to make sure that Israel stayed pure, he's trying to make sure that people. Um, followed God. And he, and when people didn't follow God, he took it really seriously. And sometimes we can stand on truth and say, this truth really matters to me. If you don't have the love, mm-hmm. you miss it. Uh, Psalm 8510 says, uh, truth and love meet together, righteousness and peace have kissed. And I love that verse because we can fall into one of those two ditches, but when you hold those things in tension, it really matters. And one of my favorite details about this, the word, the name Saul means asked of God. And God sends Ananias to Saul to to convert him to to do the thing. And Ananias's um, name means God answers graciously. Mm-hmm. And he had to be scared. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Th- th- think yeah. of being Ananias in that situation, right, Anna? Definitely. Yeah. Another thing that I think about is how Paul was sent out to go. And you said this. Paul was sent out by the religious leaders to go out and persecute people who were following the way. And instead of 
finding people who are persecuting, he found the way. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. just really incredible. Uh, how often do we set out to do things and God says, nope, actually we're going to do it this way. Mm-hmm. Well, he's, he's, an, he's a highly educated person. You have to be to be a Pharisee. So, he's had a lot of formal education and training. He's probably unusually intelligent. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, that he has this mm-hmm. brilliance. And he'll even say it later. He says, when it came to knowing things as a Pharisee, I was top of the class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll write that in his letters later. Mm-hmm. So, when you talk about a turnaround, Anna, mm-hmm. when you talk about going from it's, it's like a about face, 180 degree. There couldn't be a bigger conversion mm-hmm. of somebody who wants to kill Christians to becoming somebody who wants who becomes the greatest evangelist of the first century mm-hmm. and the person God uses to write most of the New Testament. I mean, my goodness. And, and the symbolism is rich. It's not, as you say, Pastor Ben, it's not just Ananias showing up there to do this and what his name means, but that's got to be intimidating. But for three days... He loses his sight. Well, we know three days as Christians, that just jumps off the page at us. It's like Jesus' death and resurrection, three days. So, he goes through this short three-day period, probably felt like forever to him, where he can't see, which is physical, but it's also spiritual. He is blind. He can't see. So, he's highly educated. He has all this intelligence. But sometimes, if we aren't careful, we can make an idol out of that. We can start to think, oh, well, because I'm intelligent, I don't need God, or I don't need mm-hmm. this, this stuff, or I just have my traditions or my ways of doing things, and that's that. This, a big part of the story, I think, is humility, is that Saul, who becomes Paul, has to be humbled. Mm-hmm. He has to let go and surrender that which he's been holding on to. It's really fundamentalism gone amok. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. fundamentalism mm-hmm. is kind of just like that barking dog over in the corner until it gets violent. <laughs> Hmm. Until it starts biting. Uh, so, the, the bark you can kind of live with and it's like, okay, that's a little mm-hmm. too much barking. I think that aspect of any religion, including Christianity, is like there's the loud barking dog that always gets mad at everything and doesn't have a lot of love, <laughs> seemingly. <laughs> and that's fine, but it gets dangerous when it moves from bark to what happened in Saul's life. He wasn't just barking. Mm-hmm. He was killing Christians. He, he was ordering their killing, or at least approving mm-hmm. of their killing at a minimum, and he was seeking to kill more. He was trying to obliterate Christianity. That's, we still see that today. When fundamentalistic aspects of religion um, lose their balance and they start to tack on violence to their fundamentalist beliefs, we get terrorism. We, we, we get all sorts. We get the Oklahoma City bombing. We get all sorts mm-hmm. of horrible things, mass murders. Um, Saul was on that path. Make, let's not minimize it. He was, a, mm-hmm. he was really a bad dude. Mm-hmm. And God turned him around. So don't give up on anybody uh, that God could turn around today. Mm-hmm. What can we learn from the colorful and rather fun stories about Simon the sorcerer in Samaria and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8? Well, uh, we can learn a lot. And th- these stories, I think, um, are, f- are indeed rather fun. So, so let's take them kind of one at a time. Killing Stephen at the end of chapter uh, 7, and mm-hmm. so Saul's there at the beginning of chapter 8 to approve it, that seems like a low point in Christianity's early history, and it was. But God always works good through times of suffering. Mm-hmm. And if we look for it, we'll see it. So, that means now Christianity in Jerusalem at the home base, it's not a safe place to be a Christian. So, what do the apostles do? Well, they spread out. They scatter. And because they did that, Christianity starts to spread. And Acts 1-8 can be fulfilled, which is the topic sentence of this whole book. 
Um, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where it starts, chapters 1 to 7, in Judea, chapters 8 to 12, where we are now, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that'll be chapters 13 through 28. So we see that it's not just Luke writing in Acts 1-8, here's, here's what the goal would be, but we actually see it play out, we see it take place as it goes. And that includes the story of Simon the Magician and uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. So you've got a guy from Ethiopia who's becoming a Christian. You've uh, on his way home from Jerusalem. He was at the temple worshiping, so he's Jewish. But after he meets Philip, he becomes a Christian. He gets baptized. But I think the even more fun story is, is Simon's a magician. He's a sorcerer, which means magician. And he's called the great one. He's called the guy who's got God's power because people are seeing his magic act. They're like, whoa, this guy has some sort of like superpower. He's, he's amazing. And Simon's a complicated dude because Philip is preaching at the same time and he's kind of intrigued by the message. He believes it. He believes in Jesus and he's baptized, but his heart isn't all the way there. And because of that, uh, he wants something that we really shouldn't be striving for as Christians. When he sees Peter and John come to town and they start doing miracles and people are filled with the Holy Spirit, Simon's like, can I buy that trick? You know, can he, <laughs> yeah. how, how, Teach me how to do that same thing. This is the story in Acts chapter 8, starts in verse 10 and following. Give me that same power, that Holy Spirit power, because when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, it was rarely imperceptible. People would uh, break out in praise or they'd start speaking in tongues or something would happen. And so Simon Singh is like, man, this would be the perfect finale of, of my whole magic act. And people would think I'm even better. <laughs> and that's when Peter kind of lets him have it and says, no, here's the lesson for us today, I think. We don't use Christianity as a means to an end. Mm -hmm. Christianity is the end, mm -hmm. and it's the beginning, and it's the means, and it's everything in between. It's, it's being fully enveloped in a Christ-like life. And I think part of the lesson, too, is you see Simon going way off the rails as far as being a sorcerer and thinking he can use this for his own financial gain. And then you see the uh, apostles, you see Peter saying, like, you totally missed the point. Like, you're in wickedness, and this is really terrible. What you're saying that you think you could yeah. sell yeah. the Holy Spirit, you're nuts. And then You can't buy God. Right. But Simon answers and says, pray for me. Pray the Lord for me. And, and what I love about this is you see Simon is like you could take him as just a sorcerer, as just, like, just the bad guy in this story. But even him in this little, this little nugget here is a complex character who he's interested in God, and he doesn't really get it, and he believes, but he doesn't really understand it. He doesn't really you know, understand how the Holy Spirit works, and you see yeah. God having grace for the sorcerer. The Holy Spirit's not a magic trick. No, right? the Holy he, Spirit's not a magic he's trick. He's the power of God. He's, 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 you can't buy that power. It is a free gift. And I think that's so important for us to, to, to remember. Yeah. And not only that, but even from reading this story, we can realize that there are two different things going on. There's yeah. things that are really amazing and fun to see, but then there's also the truth. Good And point. in our culture, we can get caught mm -hmm. up in the things that are really fun. Mm -hmm. They're fun to see. They are mm -hmm. extravagant, but is, is the truth there? Mm -hmm. And they can go together, but I think a lot of the times... Sure. They don't go together. Yeah, you know, it's really good because because of that. I think we pursue some of those things in the same way Simon did. It's like wow, that there's life in that. There's power in mm -hmm. that, and there might be some, but it doesn't last. Mm -hmm. The power of the Holy Spirit is is unmatched <laughs> anywhere else in in all of our existence, our mm -hmm. lives. the The power of the Holy Spirit comes and reminds us of 
how good God's love and his grace is and how mm. freely given it is. Mm. So the sin here, I suppose, of Simon is he tried to buy it. He, he, he tried to get it, and he missed the point that it's a free gift. I do, like you said, Pastor Ben, I hold out hope that Simon will be in the kingdom of heaven because elsewhere in Acts, when people go completely off the rails, Luke finishes their story by saying, they're dead. You know, I mean, that, that, that's it. They're gone. Uh, chapter 5, for instance. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and Herod later in, in this book of Acts as well. So yeah. I have hope that um, God is a God. I know God's a God of grace, and I have hope that Simon received that grace. Yeah. That's good. What major shift in church history and the New Testament story takes place as Peter baptizes a Roman centurion in Acts 10? Well, this is a really fun story, yes. too. Uh, but one of the cool things about this is um, it's it really applies to me and everybody else sitting around this table because yep. we're not ethnically Jewish, <laughs> right? Uh, there's this sense that we can take from the Bible and uh, taking it from uh, being uh, – Christians and are raising or being around Christians, even if we weren't raised in the church, and just miss the whole deeply Jewish nature of this. Um, Jesus was Jewish. All of his apostles were Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that you read in the Gospels, the, the deeper you understand the Jewish nature of it, the more sense it will make. That's why it's so important that we read the Old Testament. And and we, up to this point, you see everybody who was finding faith in, in, in Jesus what had uh, this Jewish heritage and this Jewish understanding, even the people that were being uh, baptized, if they weren't Jewish in their ethnic identity, were Jewish in their practice. Mm-hmm. When the, Paul still, even after this, goes to the synagogues first. And here you have somebody that is a different, is a devout, which means he's, he uh, believes in the God of Ju- of Judea, um, the God of Israel, Um and uh, his name uh, is Cornelius, and Peter is in this place of trying to understand what it means to be kosher, what it means to uh, believe in God and hold on to my heritage, and also make space for other people. Again, you know, you can have the truth of what of what you believe, and then the love of other people, and you hold those things in tension. And what you see Peter doing is realizing. That God's plan is so much bigger than he thought it was. Mm-hmm. That God uh, chose the chosen people, and He's He will never forsake His chosen people. But He chose them for the sake of blessing the whole world. And you see this all over in Jesus' words. But when when we see uh, Peter uh, realizing this in a new way, it changes the way that he thinks about God's plan, and for it sure. changes the way that he thinks about his own calling and ministry. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many times in this story, there's just a crossing of boundaries, the cultural boundaries that were set, yes. the yes. physical boundaries we see as they travel. Mm-hmm. And I think that we also get caught in those boundaries. We think, mm-hmm. oh, our neighbors might look different from us. They might have a different accent. They might have a different yeah. dialect than we do. So we can't cross those boundaries. Yes. But it's incredible. In verse 44 of chapter 10, it says, while Peter was saying these things, so while Peter was sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So our community, our neighbors, the world, all who hear the word, they are not, like the Holy Spirit will be there. And you can trust that whatever you can send out and God will receive and God will make great things with that. It's the power of God's word that, you know, we, we read elsewhere in scripture when the word goes out, it doesn't come back empty. 
Old Testament, it's it's New Testament faith comes by hearing. We'll read about that in Romans 10. So there's a power in this word, and that, that word brings power, the power of the Holy Spirit. When people hear that there's a God and this God loves them and believe it and receive it, that changes us. There, that's the power. That's the transformation. That's the moment. Like it's it's almost that moment where you fall in love and you're just blown away by that. It's like wow, this is the this. My life is going to be completely different now. There's just, I could never be the same again. There's a power there, but there's mm-hmm. also in in the Holy Spirit. Verse thirty four is one of my favorite verses in the whole book of Acts of Acts chapter ten. Peter gets up when he sees, as you say, Anna, these 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 boundaries kind of being pushed off to the side. The walls are coming down. Um, and you talked about that too, Ben. Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Mm-hmm. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Every nation, every people, every race, every gender, every generation, every, all the – we build walls, I think, because we're looking for security, we're looking for safety, we're looking for tradition, we're looking for the way we like it to be, and we don't necessarily understand uh, the way it is in other cultures or other places or other nations. And so we get nervous about that. But man, the kingdom of heaven is not going to be that. The kingdom of heaven is going to be a place of radical inclusivity. I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody's included, not just the people who were you know, comfortable with radical, and it's it's the power of God's word. When the Holy Spirit's filling these people up, it's not just like, oh, they changed their minds on a couple little things. Mm. It's massive <laughs> radical transformation. And here's what's in this for us, I think, today. If your version of Christianity is just sort of this polite little, you know, nothing, little thought, little sentimental kind of, uh, you know, feeling you get once in a while, that's that's really a step in the right direction for sure. And so I'm not even going to criticize it, but there's a whole party waiting for you. There's a whole new life waiting for you. There's a whole like fire of the Holy Spirit waiting for you that's that is just radically transformational and it's it is so powerful. I mean, I I just can't emphasize that enough. It it's it it will rock our worlds. Mm. We are taking questions today, so we've been Great. past a few. I'm going to work them in. You just said kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. This question says, how do we define the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Mm. Ben, you want to take a first shot at that? Yeah, uh, the kingdom of God is wherever people um, hear the word and believe. Right. So uh, what you see here in uh, chapter ten of Acts. Uh, when Peter was still speaking the words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And what happens is God dwells with his people. Uh, you think about a kingdom, like a physical kingdom, like the king of England was just coronated, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where is the king? The Wherever people uh, are under the rule of the king, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way, the kingdom of God is wherever people live under the rule of God. So it's not a geography. It's, it's not a mm-hmm. yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah, and and it's and it's eternal. It's eternal, mm-hmm. and it's wherever people uh, are indwelt with the Spirit. So mm-hmm. the I, this is again ties us to uh, the house that David thinks he's going to build for God, uh, the temple. What Jesus does and the Holy Spirit does in Acts is we become the temple of God. We become the place where God dwells, yeah. and and that's really the point of the temple. But what you see is here's Gentiles who become the place where God dwells. Before they're baptized, even though they haven't been circumcised, I don't know how they knew that, but they, it says those who were circumcised. <laughs> move on, move yeah, on, I'm move like, on. Yeah. But here's, here's the reality of it. It's like uh, when you're in this place— 
the Holy Spirit comes and has his way with us. Yeah. And I think, all kidding aside, mm-hmm. they knew they're uncircumcised because, because they're, they're not Gentiles. Jewish. They're right, Gentiles. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're like Romans. Or, or right. Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> sure there was nothing beyond that. <laughs> no, no, no. These are great questions. Thank you for, for asking, mm-hmm. folks. That's a really, really important one. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. How can we today learn to forgive ourselves the same way the disciples did? I think it's important mm-hmm. to start with Jesus and go to the cross. And so that would be the short answer. There's a longer answer that would take two podcasts to cover. But it starts by going to the cross. So the, forgiving others for some is very difficult. For others, that's the easy part. The harder part for some mm-hmm. is how do I forgive myself mm-hmm. for the things that I've done? And so we end up carrying this guilt and this shame. The reason I say start with the cross is because when you go to the cross, you do not want to look at Jesus and say, nice try. But your sacrifice there on the cross just isn't enough for my sin. Mm-hmm. It, ju- it yeah. just isn't enough to forgive yeah. me. It, and and Here's the thing, if God, who is truth, and Jesus, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, forgives you, it's done. Mm-hmm. And so, if we insist on holding on to that unforgiveness for ourselves, that baggage, I'm talking about it theologically, not pastorally here. And so, mm-hmm. there's a pastoral mm-hmm. way to talk about this, too. But theologically, just in terms of what Scripture says about this, if God forgives me, who am I to say I can't forgive right. myself? Yeah. And I'm not forgiving myself because I think somehow I've earned it now, or mm-hmm. it's been a long mm-hmm. enough time mm-hmm. where I've been punished for some terrible thing that I did. It is not about me. Mm-hmm. It's all yeah. about Jesus yeah. and what he has done for me. Because he forgives me, if I don't forgive myself, I'm sort of minimizing what he, I'm not sort of. I'm completely minimizing the sacrifice he made for me on the cross. I don't think we want to go there. So yeah. if God says you're forgiven, and it does. God says you are forgiven. And if you don't forgive yourself, you disagree with God. Mm. That's right. Mm. And I think speaking into that pastorally, when someone comes to me Mm -hmm. and they says, how do I forgive myself for X, Y, Z? And I say, well, what do you need to forgive yourself for? And they say, I can't even say it out loud. It's like, have you ever said it out loud? Have you ever actually taken this to God? That's good. Wrote it down, said it out loud, confessed this thing that causes shame in your heart. And like, that's the first step to freedom. Hmm. That is exactly. such a good point. Would how great would it feel for so many people to be able to say it, to write it down, to give it to God? And you can do it. You know, people say, "Well, confession isn't something Lutherans do. That's something mm-hmm. the Roman Catholic tradition does." Oh, well, actually, no. Lutherans do it too. We just don't have booths, you know, all, all <laughs> over the building where you get to walk in and and look through a little, mm-hmm. you know, a netted cage or something. It's so it's a little different format, but. Why do we do confession in the Lutheran Church? Because it's in the Bible. Bible. Yeah, and we're Bible people. And so, confessing your sins and going through that, some of the most beautiful moments I've had as a pastor are people coming to me and saying, I've got a confession. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can do it in my study. We can do it in the sanctuary, the chapel, in a prayer room, wherever. It doesn't matter where. You can do it in their house. But they have a confession. And so, I say, okay, well, let's do this. And then let's walk it through the way the Bible does. And so let's 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 say it like you say, Anna, or, or write it down, or confess it, or you just talk to God about it. I don't need to hear it. It doesn't matter. It's between you and the Lord. I'm just an instrument, you know, yeah. as a pastor in that spot. Yeah. So it is the most beautiful experiences pastorally because you see the freedom, you see the mm-hmm. weight lifted off their mm-hmm. shoulders. How good would it feel if that shame that so many people are listening to us right now, or that we ourselves from time to time would carry, how good would it be if that was completely erased? And it can be. So we invite you to it. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go to I, confession with Anna this week. <laughs> you can also just talk to God. You don't have to come to exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. You don't need a, you don't need us for the confession. No, yeah. But if it would help, right? Yes. Then come I, and get yeah. it. I think yeah. if you're struggling, like ask for help mm-hmm. and that's really important. The Bible yeah. says faith comes by hearing. The Bible also says confess your sins to one another. Now I'm not saying you need to confess to a pastor or you need to confess to somebody to be forgiven. Right. But the reason why we do that is because sometimes we doubt like, uh, yeah, I, mm. I confess to God, but I can't say it to somebody else. If you can't say it to a pastor, a trusted person that's going to tell you that you're forgiven, then maybe you really haven't done the full depth of the confession. Right. Yeah. Right. I confess that I'm coveting your shirt. No, I'm, I'm actually not. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, say, just, I just thought I'd give an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. Moving on. What is the role of a faithful church in times of mm. persecution, disagreement, new believers, and social challenges? Uh, I'll go first on this one. This is described throughout Acts. Remember, Acts is descriptive more than prescriptive. So we have to be careful not to pull every verse out and say, that is the prescription of God for exactly how we're supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. But we can learn a lot from the description of the way the first Christians, the earliest Christians described in the book of Acts, handled persecution, how they handled disagreements, how they handled potential divisions, how they handled the fact that they had a lot of new and therefore, uneducated, uh, it, not not stupid people, but people who just were ignorant in terms of how much they knew about the tradition of of the faith and, and how it all connected and how all the dots came together. So you have new believers, you have disagreements, you have persecution, and then you've got social challenges that we read about at the end of chapter 11, like a famine mm-hmm. uh, that's coming. So what is the role of the church in the midst of difficult times? Chapter 11, verse 29 says... The church helped. They stepped up like we do try to do around here at Hope and lots of other churches do too. When you see a need and you're in relationship with those people in need, and sometimes even when you're not, step up and give and make a difference. We just we just gave over half a million dollars during Lent mm-hmm. so that we could send out Bibles to people we probably will never meet mm-hmm. in India in places where they don't have Bibles. In other times, we have done malaria nets uh, in um, sub-Saharan Africa. We've, we've dug clean water wells. We've built churches uh, fi- over 500 at a time uh, overall. And it's, why do we do this? Because there's a need, and we're the church, and we, we, we pool our resources together, and we become radical givers. That's part of it. But the other part of it is when we're in times of persecution, I think it's really important that we keep the faith, that we take the long or eternal view on these things so that we see our suffering for what it is. So if I'm getting persecuted for my faith, and honestly in this country that doesn't happen a whole lot, we get criticized. But persecution is a whole other level where like your life is truly threatened by uh, the fact that you are a Christian. That is happening all over the world. India, I just mentioned, is one of those places where probably a top 10 nation where that happens. There just isn't the freedom to be a Christian like we know here in this country. So if you're feeling even criticized, or let's say you are from one of those countries and you're hearing us right now and you're feeling persecuted, what do we learn descriptively from the book of Acts? Take the long view. The suffering won't last, but your relationship with God will. That's really humbling to me is to see how heroic and bold and courageous these first Christians were. They refused to stop talking about Jesus, even when they were getting thrown in prison, Mm -hmm. even when they were getting beat up for it by people who had the power Mm -hmm. in this world and and sometimes getting like Philip, uh, not Philip, like Stephen and others. James uh, is is also going to be executed here for his faith. Uh, Peter gets imprisoned again and again, but they don't stop. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It, if anything, it just emboldens them. It strengthens them. I find that very inspiring. Yeah. yeah. 
Like a good action or adventure movie, there's always a deeper meaning. What's the deeper meaning as Peter escapes prison in Acts 12? Yeah. I like how we set this up as like an action, dramatic. It is dramatic. It Let's is. go. He's yeah. in this whatever prison might have looked like back then. He's got chains on his wrist. There's two guards. And you think there is no way he's going to get out of this. Right. There is no way. Right. And what's really cool is it isn't anything that he did. He was sleeping. But he was woken up by a nudge from God, and and then he was, it wasn't that he escaped prison, but he was saved. He was delivered from this potential death that he was going to experience the next day. And it, so it wasn't anything that he did, but it was fully God's hand in that. And it says right afterwards, he went to a group of people who were praying for him. And that's something important to think about how powerful prayer is. Mm -hmm. He was probably praying for himself, but he had a whole community who was also praying for him in this season of, Mm -hmm. that was probably very scary, very unsettling, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. What I love that about that too is they're literally praying as he's knocking. Yeah. Yes. And then they don't believe. It's like you got to pray and then believe it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> the action adventure movie turns into a comedy for a second there. Yeah. You're reading it just as it is. And I think Luke had to just be chuckling a little bit as he's writing. Well, here's what happened. It's pretty funny. Rhoda sees Peter slams the door, you know, when he gets out of prison because she's so excited and overjoyed, as you're saying. And, and yeah, just it just kind of unravels from there. But uh, in the midst of that humor and in the midst of the adventure action part of it, I, you said it, Anna. I'm just going to echo it. It's the power of earnest prayer. It's the power of what – don't underestimate the power of your prayers uh, for people in need and for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, look at who gets the verbs in Scripture and look who gets the verbs in your life. Do you talk about what you're doing? Or you talk about what God's doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good way to read Acts. We call it the Acts, and traditionally it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's not really that. The The story of the book that we call Acts is actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of God. So, yes, the people are praying, and, yeah. and Peter's praying. It's really ironic that we call this the... Uh, that uh, Peter, the action hero, because he's ha- he's asleep at first, and then he's half asleep for the rest of the story. He thinks he's dreaming. He thinks yeah. he's dreaming until he doesn't, and until then he, he realizes, doesn't. "Oh my goodness, this is really happening. right." So, yeah. so who's doing the saving? Who's doing the heroic action? Yeah. It's it's the angel. It's God. Mm-hmm. It's the Holy Spirit. So that you see, um, Peter is really the passive a partner in this relationship where God is saving. Uh, God is is b- building this community. And uh, you see this beautiful parallel between uh, Peter coming out of the jail and Jesus coming out of the tomb and Mary seeing Jesus and then uh, Rhoda, you know, the, the one that nobody believes, <laughs> just like the, the disciples didn't believe the women, then uh, they don't believe Rhoda either. And, and then they are overjoyed when they see Peter. And it's really beautiful. It is. Yeah. What or who is the point of Paul's sermon in Acts 13, and why does that same point still matter for us today as Bible readers? Well, the answer is really short and easy on this one. The point is Jesus. It's yeah. just that Paul does such an an artful and really intellectually elite job of tracing it together in a way Peter kind of did too in Acts 2, but Paul's Honestly, he's at a whole different level. And because he knows the history of Israel so well as a Pharisee, mm-hmm. he becomes a remarkable teacher uh, in, in the sense that he says, this is what happened. It was, the, it was, it was that God chose um, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, and then they were uh, taken to Egypt, and then they multiplied, and then they were delivered from slavery. And then 
I love the way that Paul puts it. He says, and God put up with them for 40 years in the midst of their sinful wanderings, you know, as they were on their way to the promised land, showing this, this hint not just a hint, but this overwhelming grace that God had for his people instead of washing his hands of them. And then he traces it more, you know, through the prophets. And and then he says, and then there's David, you know, the judges and the kings, and there's David, the hero. And then here, here comes this descendant of David, Paul says. And I, anyway, I don't want to re-preach the whole sermon, but the, he, it all leads to Jesus, mm-hmm. just like everything else in Scripture does. Mm-hmm. Really, when you get underneath it, that is the point of us reading the whole Holy Bible together this year, it, you say, well, if it all leads to Jesus, all I really need to know about is just a few verses about Jesus. Yeah, yeah okay. Mm-hmm. But you're missing the depth. You're missing the confidence that comes from seeing the rest of the story, from from reading it. And the more you know about the story of somebody, the closer you can be drawn to that person. Yeah. yeah. Well, so if you look uh, from a ver- uh, chapter 13, verse 17, all the way to 26, Who's the subject of the sentences and who gets all the verbs? God does. Again, who gets the verbs in your life? And then 27 to 29, uh, who's the subject of the verbs? It's the people. And what what Paul is telling the story there is when they crucified Jesus. Uh, But then at 30, it shifts again. But God raised him from the dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, God gets the verbs. And when God gets the verbs, good things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like just look at how faithful God has been. He has been. Mm-hmm. He has proved Himself to be trustworthy, and we can put all of our trust in Him through what He's done in history for what He will do in our future. And Ben, mm-hmm. I really like how you have painted that picture about verbs. I've never really thought about that before. Yeah, and it's really I think good. about that with preaching. Like, okay, am I talking a lot? Mm-hmm. You know, who, who's the subject of the sentence and who gets the verbs? Yeah, it's. Uh, you know, be God, like, God's the subject, really and then the verb points to us as direct object. I, right. Yeah. Right. That we, we receive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it helps to have been an English major right. sometimes. <laughs> but, but that also comes up at the end of this sermon from Paul in Acts 13. Is these, we're drawn into the story now. So he says, now we are the witnesses. And you could say, well, that he means them, not us. But we're a part of the same body of Christ today. We are witnesses of this. We can't keep this faith to ourselves. We, we've got to share it. So God fills us with the same Holy Spirit he filled Paul up with and mm-hmm. Peter and John and all the other apostles and everybody else we encounter along the way. Uh, the the same power that Simon the magician wanted to buy, mm-hmm. uh, we get freely. And so, mm-hmm. if we have it, it's not just to fill us up, it's mm-hmm. to overflow out of us too. Yeah. So, then we become a part of the verbs that God is doing around the world. Mm-hmm. So then, what's wrong with preachers, worship bands, miracle workers, and religious authors making it all about us? Well, this comes from Acts 14, and this really jumped out for me. Christianity is really on fire. It's starting to spread. How fascinating that while the Christians are being persecuted, it's basically illegal to be a Christian in Jerusalem. They don't care. They keep going back to Jerusalem anyway. They're hanging out. They're talking about it. But at the same time, that forces them to scatter out and to go. In Acts 14, starting in verse 14, it says this guy named Barnabas, whose name means encourager. Mm -hmm. I love that. That He's just... You know that guy in every church, right? <laughs> we, we have uh, hundreds of them here at Hope. There's just that, hey, you know, it's just always there to just lift everybody up mm-hmm. to say, man, the choir was great today. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, you're the best Hope Kids teacher ever. You're, you're the, the power life, the confirmation that we just had this weekend, that was the best ever. And that's Barnabas. Every church needs a Barnabas. Yeah. Or, or the more the merrier, right? <laughs> yes. But Barnabas is no slouch either when it comes to teaching the faith. And so he and Paul team up 
a lot as, as we'll find as, as we read through the rest of Acts. And they're out there sharing this stuff, and it gets to be so much, and especially as we go further from here, but starts to hint here in chapter 14, Paul especially develops quite a following, uh, and Barnabas too. And while they do, Paul is rejecting it. He's saying, because they're starting to say, well, this Paul, he, he can heal somebody miraculously, so he must be God, or he must be a God. And, and that's a big part of kind of secular culture, well, it's religious culture, I suppose, in a sense, but that's part of the culture of, of their day is they, the gods are in place because that's what protects them as a nation, as a people. And if somebody can do a miracle and heal somebody, he's got to be like a god. And Paul says, absolutely not. I'll have none of it. We live in a world today where I get nervous that Christianity becomes too much about our performance and what we do and not nearly enough about Christ's sacrifice and what he has done. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets back to who's the subject of the sentence again and who's, who's leading this. And I think the church would do well to refocus mm-hmm. on this. Our Christianity, our faith is based on what God does for us. And then our response to it, of course, is yeah. important. Yeah. But it's really if all we ever do is focus on us and how we do it and how we perform and who the best pastors are, who the best Christian authors are, who the best Christian bands are and music is, and who who do we follow and, and where do we go with all that, the problem is, is we're taking the power out of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Because then all we're going to get is the power that that preacher can give us, mm-hmm. which I will tell you as a preacher mm-hmm. is not much. All we're going to get is the power that those musicians can give us, which I can tell you is not much. Mm -hmm. Uh, All we're going to get is the power of that Christian author. And we've met a bunch of really famous ones who've Mm -hmm. come through hope and they're great. And the best ones are the most humble ones Mm -hmm. who don't think they're all that, who know, I'm not here to point you to my brand. I'm here to point you to Jesus. Beware the church, beware the pastor, beware the worship band, beware the Christian author who points you to him or her or Mm -hmm. to them and say, hey, it's all about us. This is, it's, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. I can't emphasize that one enough. It's just not about us. It's about God and what God does for us. When we get that right, then we get the power of His Holy Spirit yeah. instead of the power of whatever we can do. Lutheran Church of Hope can't do a ton for people. But what God can do through us for you, what mm-hmm. God can do for you just directly even too, that'll, that'll change your life. Yeah, yeah so this uh, priest of Zeus in the city of Lystra he sees power and he gravitates to the power. Simon, uh, the magician, sees the power of the Holy Spirit and gravitates to the power. Right? W- what happens when that power evaporates? What happens when that power is less apparent? Yep. They're gone. Mm-hmm. Like when when you think about what you just said, like okay, well, that power that that worship leader or that preacher has isn't going to do the trick. Right. Right. With with Jesus, we have this power that is the power of giving up power. That's what he does. He makes himself like a, a servant. He washes the disciples' feet. He, he sets died. the example. He dies on a cross. This is the way that we're to do it, too. And that's where the real power is. That's where the real power is, and that's what Paul's pointing to and Barnabas. That's what Peter's pointing to. And, you know, this is what you see uh, when James, the first apostle, is killed, and when you see Stephen die, they all point to Jesus. There's a. I heard somebody say to me once, said, Here's the problem is there's so many people out there who just love this church, and so they just talk about the church all the time. Verse 18 says this, but even with these words, so Paul and Barnabas are trying to defuse this. Stop worshiping us. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't make your offerings or your sacrifices to us. Make them to God. 
Even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Mm-hmm. We cannot control what people do mm-hmm. and how much they talk about a Christian band or an author or a church or a pastor. We're, that doesn't mean that that author is unfaithful because everybody talks about her. What it means is, is if that author starts to believe, well, maybe God couldn't do it without me. You know, maybe I'm the bomb. Maybe, maybe I'm it. She can't stop her readers from loving her and thinking she's great and, and, and wrongly substituting her for the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not her. I'm thinking of people like Beth Moore, who was just here a year ago and is just wonderful. I think she's great. And, but she'd be the first one to say, huh, like Paul and Barnabas, stop following me. Follow the one I point you to. I think it's important to not blame Beth Moore that she has a huge following. Sure. It's not her asking for that. It's mm-hmm. just her pointing people to Jesus, and then when they get that power, that's that's the thing, and that's yeah. what we hope for each and every one of you. Yeah. That's why we do this podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why we have worship. That's why we mm-hmm. preach sermons. That's why we have a worship band. That's why mm-hmm. we do all the things we do, and we try to do it with excellence, but not to point you to us, because we think our God is excellent, and we think mm-hmm. his power is exactly what all of us around this table need, and we feel like you're invited to this table, too, whenever you tune in. So thank you for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for being a part of reading through the whole Holy Bible together as a church family this year. Spread the word. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell people that God is the subject of every sentence uh, if we get it right. And his power, the power of his Holy Spirit, can fill you up with God's love now and forever, too. We'll see you at worship this weekend. It's Mother's Day. Yes. Thank God for moms. And if you're mom, if you're blessed to have a mom who's still alive, bring her to church and we will celebrate this gift of motherhood that God has created. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform and we'll see you next time.